0: Well, I am always pleased to be here with my guests because I love my guests. That's why I invite them to be guests. But today is a particularly special treat for me because I've followed the work of my next guest for a while, and I really, truly believe in, in the work that she's doing, the work that her organization that she set up is doing, and she's also part of a power couple I admire deeply. So I'll go ahead and introduce Kim Pullman. She's an international public speaker, a polymath, and a citizen of the world. She's an American by birth, has lived in London for many years, and has lived all over the world, so I can relate to that right away. She's been an environmentalist for decades, has taught music, performs as a cellist in chamber groups and orchestras, which also lands with me. I used to be a professional cellist, and has initiated research on expats and run a community-based website for the expat community in Geneva. Kim is vice chair of a charity dedicated to literacy for the blind and the visually impaired children in East Africa, and she's an avid advocate of the Golden Rule. You probably have heard of the Golden Rule, and if you haven't, it's about treating others and the planet as you would wish to be treated, which is why in 2016, she and Stephen Vasconcelos Sharp invited 25 of the world's most respected leaders and thinkers, including Archbishop Desmatutu and former Vice President Al Gore, along with a lot of other big names you would recognize, to build potential roadmaps across business and government based on understanding the potential power of the Golden Rule. That might sound a little mysterious to you, but we will definitely focus on what that means for leaders, what that means in real life as we go through this interview. So the result of those interviews was a landmark book called Imaginal Cells, Visions of Transformation. It's an exhilarating, thought-provoking anthology that explores how a compassionate approach to business, politics, and the environment can transform our planet. It asked, what happens when we let the golden rule guide us to shift our thinking and behavior? Which is such a good question. And just in case you don't know about imaginal cells, which you might not, it's a beautiful, beautiful concept. They're the single cell organisms in a caterpillar that by connecting and creating larger cooperative networks eventually become the butterfly. So, in a previous episode long ago with Kirsty Schneeberger, who's the CEO of Client Earth and a good friend of mine, we talked about imaginal cells and butterfly soup and how when you're in the cocoon, the caterpillar dissolves and these imaginal cells form, find each other, and then create the butterfly. But this is a great discomfort practice focus because, in the meantime, it can be pretty gritty, pretty uncomfortable, kind of ugly in there. So, rather than just focusing on the beautiful outcome, the butterfly, The process is also important, too. So imaginal cells is a really beautiful lens with which to understand that. So we're going to talk about individuals with a view of a vision of a more compassionate and sustainable world as those imaginal cells who knit together all these pieces to make something beautiful. So Reboot the Future is an organization that I've known of for a while because Kim co-founded it to take up this unifying cause of the golden rule of treating others in the planet as you would like to be treated. And in 2022, Kim received, together with her husband, Pullman, who if you don't know that name, he was the CEO of Unilever, which is a humongous company from 2009 to 2019. And transformed it into one of the most celebrated sustainability leaders of the corporate world, both he as a leader and the company. Unilever is one of those companies that people talk about endlessly, give awards to, look at as an icon of how you can operate sustainably as a huge company with a lot of potential impact for good or for not so good. So they together received the William Howard Taft Medal from the University of Cincinnati for notable achievement. And I think that's pretty cool and I think there are probably more such recognitions to come because Kim's just getting started. So as I'm saying with all my guests this season, season three of The Discomfort Practice, we'll be talking about how change is uncomfortable but necessary. And with Kim, I'll be talking about the role of leaders and everyone in transforming the world, in being imaginal selves, to create that beautiful butterfly moment. But in the meantime, we've got some time in the cocoon to spend. So I'm looking forward to learning from her and chatting to her. Welcome, Kim.
1: Oh well, thank you. (laughs) That was quite an introduction. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here.
0: I'm so pleased to be able to ask you this first question because I'm dying to know the answer. And that is, what's an uncomfortable moment that shaped who you are and what you do in the world?
1: Well, life is long and there's many uncomfortable moments. But you know, every day that I read the newspaper, I feel discomfort. Um, and I, I worry about the world. I worry about all the individuals in the world that are suffering so much. And 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 in fact, it was the newspaper that really propelled me on this journey. Um, yeah. So that that's that's my big discomfort reading reading about what's happening in the world.
0: Well, I think a lot of people can relate to that, but not everyone goes and sets up an NGO to do something about it. So. What led you to that moment of deciding that Reboot the Future needed to be born, that it needed to be an actual organization? You had the book, you have a great network and a lot of influence, but what made you decide that you needed to set up Reboot the Future in particular?
1: Well, actually, going back to the newspapers, uh, they, they were the inspiration for thinking more deeply about the golden rule I grew up with that concept, and then I taught it to my my three sons as they were growing up. And as they were starting their careers, I reminded them of it because uh, they all had some terrible bosses. (laughs) And I said, okay, write down what you don't like about that boss, how he's treating you, what he's doing. And so that when you become a, a manager, you do not do those things. So that that is the golden rule, right there. It's there's an, a positive version of the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But there's also the negative version, which is don't do to others what is hateful to yourself. And so we we need to be conscious of both of those things. Um, so yeah, we so we put the book together first, and instead of having it be about leadership per se, we we did ask our authors to write about how they are living the golden rule, what is their golden rule in their work. Um, And then when we launched it at Davos, the World Economic Forum in January 2017, the reaction was so powerful to this. How could anyone go to a place like that and present such a simple spiritual high level concept and so that's when we realized oh we really need to to turn this into something and promote this as uh as not just the book but as a principle that can really help guide people
0: so it wasn't necessarily that you had the intention to set up an organization it was that you saw that there was there needed to be space sort of almost like you put your stake in the ground people needed a focal point and something to coordinate this so, is that there was the appetite and you created it based on that appetite? Sounds
1: like. Yeah, there was just. Uh, the, the thing about the Golden Rule is that it's so simple, but it, it it's a simple concept to say and to understand. It's more difficult to live, but it is so simple and it, it kind of cuts through all the complexities of the world that we live in today. And um, everybody can make their own version um you know social media campaigns uh, are very adaptable and people can can adjust them to their own needs you know the black lives matter and um you know human rights matter all, all the all of these different things that you can take from these phrases and the same thing with the golden rule you can which the book points out. It's the unique thing about the book is that Mm -hmm. it takes this golden rule, which is usually used for human relationships and um, um, ADAPT shows that they're usable in all the issues of the world. So that's what really makes it unique. So for example, Mm -hmm. Anthony Jenkins uh, writes um, that you should be a bank the way you would want to be banked you know you're not there serving the shareholders and that's a, a tough thing to do when you're a big bank like he, he was running at the time Barclays but he, he 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 suffered the consequences of a board that uh was only interested in share, shareholder return so mm. he wanted to run a bank that was serving the people as they would want to be served
0: It's beautiful to hear that you were talking about this, the World Economic Forum in Davos, arguably, if not the most powerful gathering of leaders, one of the most iconic, powerful, major gatherings of leaders every year. And that what you found, this might be news to some people listening, you might be skeptical, was that there was actually hunger among the captains of industry, the best known leaders in the world to operate like this. That might surprise some people. Did it surprise you or have you been in this world long enough to know that, well, men like your husband exist and actually, you know, exist to serve society through business, even though some people might not know that?
1: Yeah, to To be fair, we, we were not in the official program. There's a lot of fringe activities that happen there. But of course, you know, everybody came. We did have business leaders because we had some participate in the book. And at that time, Paul's trying to convince other CEOs (laughs) um, to be more sustainable was, was still on its journey. The world has moved a lot, even in these five years, to understand that we are living in on on the edge of a major crisis. In fact, the crisis has already started. So what was important to us is that we take the golden rule beyond humanity and include all life on the planet for so many hundreds, especially the last hundred years. But before that as well, um, humanity has wanted to control nature for its own use. And we need to move beyond that because we're destroying at such a level now that we're getting into a, you know, a loop where it's just getting worse and worse exponentially, and you know, rapidly. We need to think about all of life and not just human life. It does feel
0: as if in the past, maybe even two years of this pandemic. There has been a growing awareness among leaders and the general public, everybody listening to this, of the concept of interbeing, that these feedback loops from, you know, ocean acidification, climate change, global warming actually impact us. We're part of that loop. And actually, I interviewed Philip Clayton, who's the president of ECOSIF, which is a Mm -hmm. partner organization of Reboot the Future, and we talked about interbeing quite a lot. And... Once you've taken that pill, once you get that concept, it's impossible to step away from knowing that that whatever happens to all beings happens to us, and whatever happens to bees and microbes and algae affects us as human beings, and that we're not somehow at the top of the food chain untouchable. But yeah, sort of back to that idea, have you seen... Not just a growing going along with the herd by leaders as this has become more mainstream and understood as a business risk. Is there more hunger among leaders, do you think, to embrace the golden rule, embrace this understanding that they are human, that everyone is human and that everything is connected? Is there is there a change in that over the past few years?
1: Yeah. I mean, not not just leaders. I have a very large concept of who a leader is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Me too. Me too.
0: I work for the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership, and so we're on board. Everybody can be a leader, right?
1: Yeah. Everybody is a leader already in some aspect of their lives, whether it's the um, oldest brother of a, of a family that has a single parent, that you know they ha- that that oldest brother or oldest sister has to take on um, a different role, and or whether you're a Sunday school teacher or you know you're the captain of your football team or or you're the the um, you know playing playing on the the defense uh, you know whatever you 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 are you have a lot of opportunities to be a leader. You know if you're in the Boy Scouts or just in a grocery working in a grocery store, you know, just sitting at at the checkout and passing the food through. You're a leader for all the people, all your customers. You are doing a great job for all of your customers that are going by. So we we all have an opportunity to be a certain way, and um, it's important that we get get our heads right about how we want to be on a daily mm-hmm. basis
0: so then expanding my question to in general have you seen have you seen more of an appetite for people to step into leadership and to treat others and the planet as if they're
1: connected to it i there's a, just a huge growing awareness yes i mean how if you're running a company how can you not see the consequences of of what you're doing we're just so intertwined in mm. what happens in India affects what is happening in in the United States. What happens in Africa? Is, you know, we look at the war of of in happening now between uh, in Ukraine and how the the ripple effect that's having all around the world. It's we, mm. we are so connected. You have got to be blind if you don't see that.
0: Yeah, and often we only think of it in terms of gas prices or cost of living prices, but actually, there's an energetic ripple too, isn't there? There are other beings and other humans who are being who are suffering right now, and actually, know it or not, we're all connected to that. So, how did the golden rule emerge as a guiding principle for you? It sounds like it's kind of always been there, but has it always been conscious?
1: Oh, I think that's a, probably a good question because uh, certainly I learned it growing up. Um, yeah, I'm, I grew up as a Christian, and that's definitely a very important a concept in Christianity. Um, my mother lived it all the time. Mm. And as, as I said, I thought it was important enough to, to to teach my children that, as in terms of shaping my life, um, really it, it came, as I was explaining before, from reading the newspapers and thinking, you know, my, my family, we all kind of get along, we've all had our conflicts, but how have we figured this out in my family? and i i kind of narrowed it down to that mm-hmm. idea that we are just more thoughtful of one another and more respectful um you know we don't we might disagree but we don't have to we'll have, might if we have to do something together we have to come to some sort of agreement but you know we we have family harmony, and I felt really sorry for the families that I would read about in the newspapers who who were just you know torn up about money or whatever, whatever, some grudge they held on for years and can't can't move on from. Mm-hmm. So is it the golden rule? it It certainly is an expression of love. Mm-hmm. so it's, it's a definition of a one one definition of love.
0: I love how that's such a big example of the personal becoming public. And I think, well, hopefully if, if we've learned something in the past two years, I I see that and you probably too, where people's personal and professional lives have been so mashed together that it's harder and harder to keep the two separate, the public and the personal. And that's actually important to be able to live your, your personal
1: values publicly. Yeah, I think... Part of what what I understand is that a lot of stress in people in their jobs is that they're having to behave in a way that they don't agree with deep down inside of them, and uh, everybody, you know, what what parent has not taught their child about the golden rule? Because from an early age, you know, we say don't don't hit, someone. don't hit Johnny, because you know you don't like to be hit or don't bite because you don't like to be bitten that kind of thing and so why do we forget that our schools encourage us us, to be super competitive and uh sports you know we're we're just such a dominating um attitude it's great to, to do sports i love to you know i'm not a big sports person myself but i admire people who do sports but this emphasis on winning goes on and permeates, um, corporate life, business life. Um, and we, we, it's just not working anymore. And when we have to come to work and live a whole nother set of values and what we really deep, deep believe deep down causes a lot of stress. And so I think, we can. We've got to be strong in, in the corporate world, but we also can do a lot of things with kindness. Um, speak gently. <laughs> I have a hymn. There's a hymn that we used to sing uh, in in the, the church I grew up where It's about speaking gently, and I, I love I love that. I've always liked that concept because you can, you can the other person can actually hear you if you're mm. speaking gently. It's actually much more effective rather than shouting because when you're shouting, it's an attack and you get into defense mode and then you, you can't think clearly. And so then you, you, your reaction is to shout back. But that just escalates and escalates and it can and very often gets to a physical um, reaction as well. So you speak gently. It doesn't mean that you're speaking weakly, but you will be heard. And it's a, it's a sign of respect as well. And then the then you are required to listen to the other person who can also then speak gently back.
0: <laughs> mm, I love that because that what strikes me about you is we're about to get my 11 bells behind me. You do speak gently, but powerfully. And anyone listening to this can just hear your voice. I just want to lean in and listen. And you have a gentle way of drawing me into what you're saying. And now I understand where that comes from. So yeah, it would be interesting if you're you're listening this and thinking, wow, if only my boss spoke kindly at work. Can you imagine if the principle of work communications was kindness first? What would a workplace look like if kindness was the guiding principle for all workplace communications? I'm actually struggling to imagine that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is being demanded more and more. Um, it's, it's just it, there. This kind of domination uh, is really an outmoded way of of being a leader. And there's a huge desire in in the work that we did during COVID. We we held a whole series of conversations with some partners. On different, so the, so the the purpose was to capture what people were learning during COVID, and um, so we had different sectors coming in. So arts, um, uh, finance, education, youth, uh, environment, um, finance. Did I say finance? Um, and so it was. So they would they came into these conversations online, and we explored what we were learning and how can we use these learnings to reboot that sector and Mm -hmm. um, it was just fascinating to me across the different sectors how much unity there was in terms of what people wanted and one of them was working in a more collaborative way Mm. rather than a hierarchical structure more collaboratively, more team. I, I know people work in teams, but still, one simple thing is to sit around, a, sit at a round table rather than a, a rectangle table with the boss at one end. So you, you end up having equality as soon as you're sitting down and you're mm. encouraging cross uh, discussion. Everybody is more able to participate without that hierarchical structure and then an, another thing that's just a simple concept but mm-hmm. this you know what one what what is waste to one is a is a food to another or you know when one one you or your what is waste to you that re-nourishes the soil or you know they, they all are giving each other something and taking from you you know taking and giving mm-hmm. so that's we've gone. Our our societies have become so much about taking, mm-hmm. and we've got to give back. So that that's the connection and that understanding of our connection, and then another thing that was so common to everybody was uh, empathy. A real demand for more empathy and compassion. And for me, the golden rule goes even farther because the golden rule. So empathy. Um, is often described as listening, and um, and compassion is is also is often about doing. So they're both important, and the golden rule embraces both. It's about listening first, and then having courage to challenge the status quo, and then third, it's about taking action. So it's always do don't do don't do treat or don't treat. You know, there's mm-hmm. there have action to really, really live it. Um, so for me, that was a real answer. Then as a result of these these conversations, um, we came up with a kind of manifesto with a list of 10 values that uh, were, um, it was a, a real collective thought process to come up with these 10 values as a kind of um the motivation for a, a new environmental Marshall plan. In fact, today I was just reading uh, an email that came in. They're presenting to the G7. Um, a group is presenting to the G7, a uh, Marshall plan for the environment. And we actually created these values. To, oh, I love that. To be the the lead. We have to somehow get these to the G seven quickly before their meeting tomorrow. I don't know if we're going to manage, but but this is the 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 motivation for actually doing all the things that 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 we have to do on the environment. And if we get it, it in our heads, uh, our motivation, then it'll happen. I so it. I You're do. Like, wait, wait, I-
0: wait, wait! We have one. We have one. And if anybody doesn't know what the Marshall Plan is, it's the plan that basically rebuilt. Europe after World War II, after war had devastated the continent. And it was funded largely by the US. And it is the reason that g- economies like Germany are so strong now. So I love it, the Marshall Plan for the Environment. How do we rebuild the planet? How do we pour resources into it? Because we know that it's like rebuilding Europe, the rest of the world is better off because we rebuilt Europe. How do we rebuild the environment so that it can benefit all of us? But yeah, it's interesting that you've talked about balance rebalancing and reboot is a great word because everybody who has a computer understands that one. When it's not working, you shut it off and and turn it on again. You restart. You... Give it another go. Yeah, I love that. That's a beautiful concept.
1: The balance uh, is one of our values. And it it came up over and over and over again in these conversations. It was really uh, quite important for people. And that's balance in our our personal and work lives, as as Mm. we were mentioning. Um, But also um, a balance between... Capitalism and environmentalism, and balance um, um, in—you know—what to what? What? How do we define success? So, trying to figure out a more balanced definition of success. It has been uh, because we've lived in a very um, a a world driven mostly by men. Um, It's been very much driven by desire for money desire for power desire for domination and control it's quite ruthless very competitive and a lot of people just most people just really don't want to live like that and and um Mm -hmm. yeah so balance in that way as well lots of different kinds of balance that will really come out in the arts for example it was a balance a better balance between governments that fund the big, big uh, arts institutions compared with com- community uh, arts projects. That was another example. So it was—it just in every single area there was just a need for balance. Oh, I love that. That's interesting. No, I love—I love that this is just
0: so inspiring because it reflects how most people probably feel and don't think is possible in the structures of capitalism or business or whatever. But what you're saying is it's absolutely possible. If we turn turn the attention of our resources and we turn the focus of our massive resources and brains and ability to innovate and invest in rebuilding something, we can truly change the planet. We can truly change society. We can Completely overhaul and change anything we really want to, and you're seeing a hunger for that. I think this is a perfect time to remember imaginal cells because I know the conversations you had with leaders throughout the, the pandemic were called imaginal conversations. So back to that concept about single cell organisms and a caterpillar finding each other and knitting together something beautiful. So can we unpack a bit more of that and and talk about the discomfort that might be necessary as we all function as potential imaginal cells, what might be some of the discomfort of knitting together something beautiful for the future? Where does that take us?
1: Well, there's, um, yeah, so going back to the analogy, um, the it's important to remember that there's the, the caterpillar represents the old way of doing things. And the caterpillar in his life gorges and gorges and gorges and consumes and is having a real high life. And that's kind of what we've been doing. And it's been fun and fantastic. And, you know, we've had everything we could ever dream of. Um, so, but then we reach, he, he, the caterpillar reaches a tipping point as we have in our world of consuming too much and goes into his cocoon and breaks down into chaos. And that is super uncomfortable, <laughs> but it activates the imaginal cell. That's the correct biological pronunciation, but we, we, we in our work, say imaginal. But the, so the imaginal cell that was innate, already in... Now I know. Thank you. See, I knew I would learn something from you. Yep. Yeah. So the imaginal cell uh, was already in the caterpillar, but dormant but this chaos activates it just like mm-hmm. now this chaos and uncertainty that we're living in is activating the the core of who we are as humans we have to ask ourselves so many people are asking themselves who we are who are, are we sorry who are we and what in the heck are we doing and that's what happens with these imaginal cells. They mm. become active and they are have different identities. So one is the head, one is the antenna, one is the butterfly. I mean, the, 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 the wings, the colors, you know, so they, they find each other. And the, actually, the old way of doing things doesn't like it. So they attack. So, we, you know, we see some, some old fashioned leaders oh. around the world who deal with what's coming. This better way. So they are fighting to the end
0: yeah.
1: to, to preserve their power and uh, their, their realm of, mm. of power. So, uh, but then the imaginal cells find each other because they emit a frequency, a common frequency, apparently. And they find each other through this chaos. Oh. For us, that common frequency is the golden rule. So when they 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 start to cluster, and then the, the old way finally gives up and and disappears. So then that allows the the growth of the, this new identity, this new beautiful shape. So so what we're trying to encourage is is more and more people to live by this golden rule, and we find each other. I, I tell you, since I started working on this, I only find amazing people it is true. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Can I get you to
0: pause for a moment? Because I want to ask, well, no, I want to ask listeners right now just to pause in the midst of this and and just ask yourself, how are you feeling right now as you hear this? Because I, I love this metaphor of imaginal cells, now that I know how to say it right. And it excites me. It makes me, I get a feeling in my belly. So if anybody's sort of into somatic experiencing or ask yourself, where in your body do you feel this? Are you meant to be part of this? Is this actually activating you as an imaginal cell? Are you feeling this? Because you probably are. If you're listening to the Discomfort Practice Podcast, this is calling you. This is something for you to be part of. So I hate to interrupt you, Kim, but I wanted to ask people that because, yeah, whatever comes next, if you're listening, you're part of this. If this sounds true, if this feels true, you're part of this. So let's plow on. This is exciting stuff.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for adding that because it is worth a moment of reflection. And I I think that's important. I mean, first of all, just to add that when, when we first started talking about this, and even now I still get this reaction sometimes, it's it's more known as a concept, but at the beginning people hadn't heard of this so much. And people were, were, were getting in tears, quite frankly, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. with this story because it it, it was, uh, let's not forget what was happening in at that time. Uh, Trump had been elected and um, Bolsonaro and these kinds of people uh, who who were frightening to a lot, a lot of other people. So it, it it's okay. It's been five years. We're still struggling with these, this old way of doing things, mm-hmm. but um, there, but simultaneously there's been a huge increase in awareness and in a desire to live in this new way. So, you know, the battle's not done yet. Um but it but it gives hope and, and it gives an explanation for what is happening. Sometimes it's called chemicalization as well. It's a concept that I I, I knew uh growing up as well, that there's sometimes this period of, of chaos uh before you get to the, the, the peaceful moment, the storm before the calm. In fact, <laughs> I was just thinking about a song that I used to belt out as a youngster playing the piano um, from Rogers. My, my grandmother had given me a, a book of Rogers and Hammerstein songs. And uh, there's a song called, um, in fact, I've, I went and dug up all the words, Apparently, Jerry and the pacemakers had had a recording of it. But when when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of a storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never be alone. And I... I, to, I loved that song as a child, and um, you know I still love those lines. I have thought of that so many times. And, and this is a similar kind of story to the imag- imaginal cell. Um, it just gives hope and courage to keep on going. So, hmm. yeah, <laughs> that's my little, little poem for the day.
0: <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Jerry and the Pacemakers. Now I'm going to have to get that song up on Spotify after this. But it's, it's such a useful reminder to <laughs> people who are like, am I crazy? Am I the only one? No, a lot of people have been struggling. And I, I think it's really important to decide to continue believing that this is progress toward something better, towards something collective, because I see it. You're saying you see it. Enough people out there are saying that they see this greater consciousness, this greater desire for connection, this greater amount of activity and activism and seeking alignment between the values that we each intrinsically have and how we live that in the world or how we insist society operate or how we insist leaders operate. So if you think you're crazy, you're not. This is a paradigm shift and this is the, the storm before the calm. I like that reminder so much because it feels pretty crazy out there right now, doesn't it? And a lot of it's hard not to be swept up in it. So if you're feeling stressed, you're not alone. But it's the storm before the calm. And it might take some time. But such transitions are cyclical. (laughs) We've been through this so many times as a species, as a planet. It's just the latest version of it. And we're pretty resilient. Human beings and this planet and other beings on it, we are always evolving. We're constantly evolving. It's not that we've stopped. We haven't arrived. We're still going. So, yeah, I hope that that brings some hope, some encouragement to somebody listening. I'm sure it will. But I'm wondering, how, how would you tell people they can apply the golden rule today? Whatever they're doing, because I agree with you that we are all leaders, kind of whether or not we want to be. We're the leaders of our own lives. We're potentially the leaders of other things. But how could any of us apply the golden rule today?
1: Well, I, you know, as soon as you step out the door... You're either you're either in your with people around you, or there's some sort of life around you, and uh, how you interact with that is a daily occurrence. You go to the office, you interact with your your um, your colleagues. You go to your school as a young person, and you interact with the other students. And there's, there's a lot of harshness out there. And we, we just ask ourselves, do we want to be a part of that harshness? Is that how we want to be known? Um, uh, do you want to help? To me, the golden rule impels us to ask the question every day, do you want to be helpful or do you want to be hurtful? It's as simple mm. as that.
0: That's simple. <laughs>
1: You know, if you're a student in school, I'm always always amazed at uh, how um, some children, it's bullying, Uh, you know, will just find anything about somebody to pick on. I remember my sister, her son, um, who was a, a strapping young man, he had the wrong kinds of sports shoes and was being teased because of the sports shoes he wore. Like, really? <laughs> you know, what? what is that parent teaching the child who's criticizing somebody for something? You know, and the, I'll bring up another thing is judgment. So I've been thinking a lot about judgment and uh, we, we have to make a lot of judgment. It's, it's a good thing, a good quality because we need to judge sometimes whether something's right or wrong or Oh, you know, we have to hire people, so you know we have to pick the right person, uh, and you know, that requires a, a, a judgment. Um, um, you know, we, we when we there's a lot of things we have to make judgments for. Should should what kind of weather is it outside? Should I should I wear? I have to make a judgment. Do I wear a coat or or do I not wear a coat? (laughs) There's a lot of things we have to make judgments about. There's a lot of things we make judgments about that we don't need to make judgments about. And I I think a consciousness, we don't need to make judgments about what kind of shoes somebody wears or, you know, whether their hair is long or short or what color their Mm -hmm. skin is or what what kind of headdress they have on or, or, um, you know, whether, you know, what, what what their sexual orientation is we don't need to make judgments about all of these things so we we need to be clear about that and mm. we don't want people to judge us either for the color of our hair or how what kind of hairstyle we have or the clothes that that i wear so why are we why do we become judgmental about others and put people in categories it's it's um, I think that that's a little a, a little key thing that people could ask themselves. so i it's daily really. It's a, a daily thing that we do, and we and if we get to, into the habit of it, then we, then we take it to the larger issues. We practice on the small things.
0: It's a practice, and it starts with a micro. yeah, it starts with the micro.
1: Yeah, how how we talk to our children, how we talk to our spouses. Are we being respectful?
0: It is the little things. And think.
1: You can say something to someone. um, It's okay to have, we have to distinguish between what we need and what, what, what our emotion is about it. That's another thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And we get into a muddle. And so trying to distinguish between our emotions, use our emotions really to point to a need. And once we understand what the need is, then we can really sit down and say, okay, this is what I'm really needing. Can we work this out? Can you help me or either help me fulfill that need or help me find someone else or some other way to fulfill that need. So that's quite complicated what Mm -hmm. I've just brought up. But it it has to do with the golden rule, I think. It's being more sensitive to what others need, what I need for myself, being conscious of it. And and Mm -hmm. you don't need to fight about that. You can just sit down and talk about it because it's okay to have a need but let's just talk about it rather than fight about it. Yeah, that's, well, it's
0: such a good tie from something that could be quite a fuzzy concept to when you're not treating other people the way that you would like to be treated, what is it that you're not giving yourself? And that's actually a question I ask myself when I find myself having kind of a judgy day and I'm like, this is disgusting. I'm tired. Why am I judging that woman's socks or whatever? And then I realize what am I not giving myself that I need right now that makes me have to judge? And usually it's like, I need more sleep or I'm feeling stressed about money or whatever. And it is, like you said, it's a a redirect to yourself. So when you start to become more conscious of when you are judging others, when you are being unkind, bring it back to how you're not showing yourself love. I think that's a really beautiful redirect Mm -hmm. for people to remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I know that you are also a leadership educator. You lecture at a business school. Um, I know that you are well, you are an educator in many ways. So what do you see among younger and emerging leaders, so not necessarily young, but sort of rising through the ranks, that gives you hope about the future, about what happens next in terms of living the golden rule more widely?
1: Well, I, I think there's generally um, – an increasing awareness among young people that uh, things need to change, the systems of our world needs to change. They they might not understand that totally, uh, but um, there's an awareness that uh, the old way of doing things just isn't working anymore for sure. So that's hopeful, and they come with a really fresh, unbiased... Um, creativity that should be encouraged and listened to, uh, in my opinion, um, you know, all these voices need to be heard much more. Um, I I I remember in the '60s growing up, uh, and it was the beginning of the environmental movement and it was anti-vietnam war and um i remember the first earth day in the united states in in 1970 or 71 um and in across america there were millions of young people out on the streets uh, about this and and i and it reminded reminds me of the demonstrations going on now and i participated in a walk in glasgow uh, mm. and, they, and it makes me sad in one way that we have to get out on the streets again, like, okay, what happened? What did we do? And I was as much a part of this consumption as anybody else. I, I, bought, I bought the economic story that this was good for everybody, jobs and innovation and yeah. consumer and all of these things. But what, what what did we miss? What happened? And i I'm, would encourage the young people today. <laughs> they they need to be even stronger. They need to be much stronger and more united and not give not not let up the pressure. Mm. Um so just be creative and think and be innovative, not about necessarily producing new products but about new ways of thinking and definitely embrace systemic thinking. As we started out, mm. we're all connected and everything we do is connected and we need, it's, it's a much harder concept. It requires a different way of thinking. It's more of a you know, spider web kind of thinking rather than a hierarchical kind of thinking or linear way of thinking. So there's the talk about the linear economy where you dig up, you build, you sell, you use, and you throw away. That, that's the linear economy. where We have to think more. I mean, it's no, well better known now than when we started talking about all these things, but it's the circular economy. There's lots of different ways of thinking about it now. Mm. But they have to really embrace that uh, and understand that. It, 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 it's more complex thinking. But our educational systems have to include that now. And getting out of the silos, part of our, our our training has been thinking in your silo. You know, scientists do their research in a very, very narrow strip of questions. And businesses themselves divide their businesses up into their different categories. You know, finance, marketing, product development, human resources, and and. Actually, what what you have to have is much more crossover. Um, um, you know, you need to work with anthropologists and sociologists and scientists and uh, business people and educators. They all need to work together and hear each other. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, just much that. more complex. So that that's the kind of that's a big thing that has to change. Really, more systemic training education mm-hmm. um, but also young people come with a new way
0: of thinking and by the time this airs this will have long been in the past but today i'm giving a seminar to some students at the london college of communications and i've been asked to talk about activism because i have a really activist background and then i mm-hmm. i've worked in corporates as well i spent some time at nestle uk that was okay. interesting as an activist, which I didn't last long, let's just put it that way. But um, what struck me there was actually a really good message to young people. And if you're a parent listening to this or you're an educator listening to this, I think something that struck me that I want to make sure I incorporate in my own education of, you know, I'm a lecturer at a university here and leadership, but don't get stuck in the old fashioned way of thinking even if you need to work in those systems. And that goes for anybody. You know, don't feel like, oh, what difference can I make? And don't get bogged down in the fact that you are, we are all still enmeshed in mesh and systems that have been set up to function very optimally, but not necessarily sustainably. So even if you need to operate in those systems, don't don't surrender your way of thinking. Don't surrender your ability to see the interconnectedness. And I like that spider web understanding of things. I was initially asked to talk about environmental activism, and I was like, nope, I'm going to talk about all the activism, because environmental and social activism is not different. It's all connected. Mm -hmm. So just remembering that everything is connected. And also, you don't have to call yourself an activist to be an imaginal cell, to be someone who's part of catalyzing change, to be part of the change. We're all going to be part of the change, whether we do it consciously and voluntarily or not, because evolution marches on and the world is changing very rapidly. So either it's not a case of get in or get out. It's a case of you're in it. How conscious are you going to be about it? How conscious are you going to be about whether or not you judge or you treat people with kindness or not? So I like that message to young people that you've raised. And actually, that brings me into another question I'd like to ask. I'm aware I don't have much time left with you, but one of the 10 values of Reboot the Future is the life economy, Which is about promising to build a life-centered economy focused on being and thriving rather than merely doing. And as a lot of us have realized in the stillness of this pandemic, the enforced stillness, and probably as part of our own consciousness practice, the core of everything is being, not doing. Doing comes from being. So can we unpack that? Being rather than doing? Why is it so important? And how does it need to stop being foreign to leaders who are used to just getting stuff done rather than focusing on
1: who they are and who, what they are being? Yeah, well, well, doing is is enticing because jumping into doing is enticing because you see immediately the result um reflection in your mind uh takes longer and is more complicated and you can't measure measure it the result of it. So I get it. Uh unfortunately we 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 have to have our minds clear about what we're doing and everything starts with our mind. So you know if I I raise my hand it doesn't raise it by itself. It raises because I've I want to. It's in my head. I'm thinking about raising my my hand, so my choice of whether to be speak kindly or or roughly ruthlessly is is in my head. I have to want that. I have to want to speak that way first. and um, mm. the decisions that we make about what to do are made in our head. so we've if we've got the right values and the right principles. If we're asking the right questions in our head, am I being helpful or hurtful? Um, you know, that, that that's the first thing you've got to get that straight in your head, um, and take a bit more time mm. to think about it. Uh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of problems come because we we listen to our our we're reacting with our our survival. Instinct, which we need, we need that survival instinct in case a a bus is coming at us. So we need to be able to jump out. But a lot of times, we it's just too quick. Uh, A lot of times, we don't need that physical, immediate reaction, but it kicks in, especially when we're feeling threatened Mm. by someone shouting at us. Uh, That's what I was talking about before. We react too quickly. So uh, and, and in a crisis like, you know, everybody had to react to COVID. You know, you 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 have to react. You're reacting in in Ukraine. You know, you're being attacked. You need that. You need to be able to do that. But a lot of times we don't need to react that fast. And so let's let's mm. think more deeply and um, about what our motivation is, what it is we're really trying to do, and then we'll do the right thing. If we take some more time. Mm. That's a really
0: Useful point about it's like the hygiene issue of being, which is take a breath. Don't just react because your nervous system wants you to and the external circumstances seem to demand it. Um, I don't know if you know Margaret Heffernan. She is a leadership commentator. She's written some amazing books. Also, a fellow Texan and inhabitant of the UK. Brilliant woman, but she talks about she works with leaders and a lot of them work 100 hours a week, and they literally don't feel like they have time to take a breath or to be reflective because they're so busy doing and reacting. And it's kind of terrifying to realize that the people making the major decisions for the world have no time to take a breath. So I would encourage anyone listening to this, and particularly if you're in a leadership position, you do have time to take a breath and to pause and to think before you do, to think before you speak. And it's not going to come easily if it's not your habit. It has to become a choice. It has to being and giving yourself time to pause is a decision. And it's one that we all need to make because we are wired to be reactive. We're wired to avoid getting hit crossing the street. You know, like we are wired the way our ancestors were wired, but the world around us has changed so massively that we haven't really adapted to be able to keep ourselves calm because, you know, if you study sort of adrenaline reactivity, animals react to danger, and then they switch off that nervous reaction, they switch off the stress hormones, but we don't. And therefore, we end up doing, 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 reacting, 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 and that doesn't leave much time or space to change the way we treat others, to be less reactive when we make decisions. And that's just biochemistry at its most basic level. So... I say this a lot in this podcast and when I teach mindfulness to corporate leaders and people in a younger studio in Barcelona, but you can breathe anywhere, anytime, just go to the toilet or sit at your your desk, close your eyes and take three breaths. And I think that is a really good little hygiene moment to help people then pause and then figure out what they actually want to do from a state of more calm being. So Hopefully that helps leave people with some really tangible ways in which they can live the golden rule by first listening to themselves. But as we head into the home stretch here, I want to ask you if there are any final thoughts you'd like to leave listeners with because Kim, this has been a rich interview as I anticipated it would be. So any final
1: thoughts? Um I I Well, I, can I ask you a question?
0: Of course, I love questions. I never get questions on this on this podcast.
1: Oh, oh well. In your list, you said I could ask you a question.
0: <laughs> I always invite people, and very few people take me up on the offer, so I'm thrilled. Shoot away here.
1: Well, I, I know that you were living in Spain during the during the lockdown, and it was pretty severe um, lockdown there, uh, as I as I understand it. So, a how did you survive? the severe lockdown? And then second, what did you learn during COVID and and what do you not want to forget?
0: Before I answer that, she did not know this question in advance. I love this question. And it's actually one that people listening to this podcast might already know the answer to if they've listened for a while, because this podcast came from that. So, If you're new to this podcast or if you haven't listened to that, um, the Barcelona lockdown was us locked in our homes for almost three months. And most people in Barcelona live in pretty small apartments. Mine is not tiny, but it's not huge. And we literally were not allowed to leave our houses unless we were going to buy groceries or go to the pharmacy. And we had to go to one fewer than 100 meters from our house, if possible. And the police would literally stop people and be like, why are you at the shop that's further from your house? So it was intense and people suffered. And it was hot (laughs) because it's Spain and it was May and June. I really struggled for the first three weeks. And I know it precisely for some reason, it stuck in my mind. I really thrashed around because all of my work stopped because at that point, as a consultant in sustainability issues and behavior change, my major projects were in the public sector in the UK and they had other things to focus on all of a sudden with COVID. And so all of my income stopped. And I wasn't allowed to leave my house. And I was living with two flatmates. And I'm a woman who was raised in Wyoming in cowboy it, get stuff done country. And I'd never been so still. And thank goodness I've had a mindfulness practice for years because it would have been way worse than it was. And then I just, I just stopped thrashing about and struggling one day. I was like, huh. And I learned to be more deeply than I ever have rather than always doing because I didn't realize how much I distracted myself with social life, with work. Work is my chosen addiction. And I really got deep in the discomfort and I had to embrace it. And I had to do things like I learned a lot about ecstatic dance and shaking through online sessions. And I would just like, listen to these great sessions online and shake, which is just like movement through your body, not caring how it looks. It's not really dance. It's just movement. And it works a lot of anxiety and stress out of your body. It helps you to release. I did a lot of meditating. I read some books. And what I discovered was how deeply creative I am, actually, after a life that was filled with corporate and consultancy and running an NGO and thinking I was very structured and you know, sort of, I had a very masculine approach in my career and I learned that I really am more of a bohemian artist musician than I had allowed myself to be. And so I started this podcast, the discomfort practice to talk about the beauty of discomfort and the productive value of discomfort. And it's also woven its way back into my work, which has come hot and heavy, um, and now I'm asked to do a lot of things into which I get to incorporate this new understanding of discomfort and mindfulness and leadership. And it's brought together all of the pieces of my life and my career and my passions. Mm-hmm. But first I had to have it all stripped away. That's the long answer. <laughs> so thank you for asking such a juicy question. That's how I survived <laughs> it. Not without difficulty, but I, then with beauty.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's a, a great transformation and learning. Oh one to be remembered (laughs) by all of us. Yeah.
0: It was a deep, dark cocoon moment. And here I am. I don't know if I'd say I'm in the butterfly stage yet, but I'm enjoying wherever I am right now. Sounds like it.
1: Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Well, Kim, it has been absolutely a privilege and a pleasure to speak to you today. I'm so, so happy I got to speak to you. And, this was, will not be the last that we see each other because I am a big fan of Reboot the Future. I'm in touch with the team there. They're in touch with me. And I really think the work you're doing, having these conversations and working with leaders is deeply important and people recognize that. So I can't wait to see what happens next for you for Reboot the Future Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you for your your rich questions and uh, I've enjoyed it as well. I look forward to seeing you more in the future.
0: (laughs) Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts, leave me a five-star and written review and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences, with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast, and for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts, and in the meantime, stay uncomfortable.